John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. The Word of God says, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. And let's pray. Lord, thank you for this portion of Scripture. The testimony of the disciples and Thomas. Lord, I pray that you'd help us uh, to be not faithless, but believing. Help our eyes to be tuned to you. Help us live every day living by faith and showing the world you, showing them your glory. Uh, Preaching the gospel with our lips and with our lives uh, so that we can bring you eternal glory in heaven and glory while we're here on earth. Please bless the message, speak to hearts, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. What a powerful portion of scripture. I always like this portion of scripture. This takes place on the evening of the resurrection. Jesus had just risen from the grave that morning, and yet so much had happened that day. The disciples had gathered that night in an assembly, what we would call church and imagine the risen Christ attended church that night the doors were locked the Bible says they were still in fear of the Jews remember Jesus had just been killed some days before and now uh, they are still his followers though defeated and dejected and saddened trying to put the pieces of their lives back together. Remember, they had trusted that Christ would be the one to restore Israel, but they missed the fact that before he had to redeem their souls. And as we said this morning, God's more interested in your soul than he is in your politics. He's more interested in your eternal destination than he is your earthly comfort. Uh, He's got to get you saved first, and then afterwards he'll do these other things. And so... These men had given away everything. I mean, they'd walked away from their lives, going to follow the Christ, and yet it didn't work out as they had thought because their eyes were blinded to the truths Christ had been teaching them. Christ appeared that night. Uh, He appeared, and they rejoiced to see Him. Imagine how that encounter with Christ must have changed their lives and encouraged their hearts. For the rest of their lives, they would tell their children and their grandchildren about the night They were assembled together, and Jesus Christ appeared in His glorified body. But Thomas 
who was one of the apostles, was not present that evening. Now, we don't know why he was absent. The Bible doesn't give us a reason. But we can infer from the scriptures that it wasn't a good excuse. Well, Thomas was gone. Jesus had appeared. So sometime during that week and perhaps even after the meeting, they got to Thomas and began to tell him what he had missed. Christ was with him. They saw him in his glorified body. They ate with him. They learned from him. He opened the eyes of their understanding. They remembered his teachings like they never had before. Now they understood. They were filled with excitement. But Thomas wasn't impressed. In fact, he didn't believe them. We look back at verse 25. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger in the print of the nails, and thrust my hands into his side. Now wait a minute. Think about how foolish that is. You see the glorified Christ, and the first thing you want to do is, uh, think about this wording. Put my finger in the print of the nails. Thrust my hand into his side. I've, I'm not going to believe you. Matter of fact, it says, I will not believe. Imagine a preacher saying that. Imagine an apostle saying that. And he said, unless I take this finger and I stick it through the very holes in his hands that purchased our salvation, and I take this fist and I stick it into his ribs where his heart was and where his blood and the water poured out, unless I stick my fist into his body, I will not believe. That doesn't sound like a very good Christian, does it? Sounds like a guy who's in pretty deep trouble spiritually. Incredible. And I can't get over those words. Thomas literally said, I will not believe. The entire Christian life is built on faith. And yet Thomas said, I'm not going to believe that. I will not believe that unless I see it with my own eyes, touch him with my own hands, thrust and stick Well, the next Sunday night, the Bible says eight days later, that would be the next Sunday night, Thomas did attend the meeting. And as I sit meditating upon this passage of Scripture, I can only imagine the tension in the air. Thomas was there in body, but not in spirit. Have you ever been at a meeting where somebody was there, but you could tell they were not happy to be there? You could tell... We've had that over the years. Perhaps somebody's got sideways about something or they're upset about something, and they're there, but everybody knows they're not happy. Everybody knows they're not with the program. Here's Thomas sitting in the room. He's included in their number, but not in agreement. He didn't believe the stories of last week's meeting with Christ. Matter of fact, he basically called them liars. I can see Thomas sitting there, slouching in his chair, with his arms crossed, and a look that says, I don't want to be here, impress me. Every preacher has seen that look. Tension thick in the air. 
But to Thomas's shock, Jesus Christ appears again. <laughs> I love it. Hey, aren't you glad when Jesus shows up? When Jesus shows up, things change. And Jesus showed up, and he, again, the door's locked. He miraculously appears. He's in his glorified body that's not held to the laws of physics of this world. And he just appears, and he says, Peace be unto you. And then he turns to Thomas and calls him out. Thomas, reach hither thy finger. Look at the scripture. Look at verse 27. Then saith he to Thomas, reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. See, our omnipresent and omniscient Lord sees all and knows all. He knew of Thomas's doubting diatribe. He knew of Jesus's of, of Thomas's assertion, unless I pluck, unless I push and thrust and poke his body myself, I see with my eyes, I thrust him with my own fist, I will not believe. And Jesus called him out in front of everybody because our Lord knows, and I'm reminded of Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. He sees it all. He hears it all. There's not a whisper in your house or a thought in your heart that the Lord doesn't hear and know. And the Lord called out the unbelief of this doubting disciple. He said to Thomas directly in front of them all, Be not faithless, but believing. We've been preaching on faith during this coronavirus catastrophe. And as I was meditating on what to preach, the Lord brought me to this scripture. And that word faithless arrested my attention. It's an interesting word, isn't it? Faithless. We don't really say that word. When's the last time you used the word faithless? It's a very powerful word. It's a condemning word. It's a word that grabs your attention. What does faithless mean? It literally means without faith. Faith with the ending less, without faith. Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines it in several ways. It says it's an adjective that means without belief in the revealed truths of religion. Unbelieving. Without belief in the revealed truths of unbelief, of, of, of religion. Unbelieving. It also means not believing or not giving credit to. It means not adhering to allegiance or duty, disloyal, treacherous as a faithless subject. It means not true to a master or employer, neglectful as a faithless servant. It could mean not true to a marriage covenant as a faithless husband or wife, not observant of promises or deceptive. The word faithless. The word faithless is used three other times in your King James Bible. I want to show you one of them. Look at Matthew chapter 17. Matter of fact, all three times this word is used are different accounts in the Gospels of the same event. Matthew chapter 17, verse 17, Mark chapter 9, verse 19, Luke chapter 9, and verse 41. Look at Mark chapter 17. 
Jesus is just coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. And look at verse 14. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed. For oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. What a condemnation. Jesus cries out to the crowd, including his own disciples, O faithless and perverse generation. Perverse means twisted. He said, how long shall I suffer you? How long shall I be with you? You say, why would Christ say that? Well, realize he just came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. He had just spent some time in his glorified body. He just spent time talking to a glorified Moses and a glorified Elijah and God the Father. And and later, Peter, James, and John heard the voice of God the Father as they corrected Peter for his his, uh, uh, foolish suggestion. But here was Christ having a few moments of heaven on earth. The one who left the glories of heaven. The one who left the throne of God, adored by the angels and the saints who were already there, songs sung in his name, special angels praising him, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And the great King of glory humbled himself to become a man, a God-man robed in perfect flesh to live among his creation in the filth of this world. He'd been here for over 30 years. He's in the process of taking those steps toward the cross and teaching others and leaving the accounts of his miracles for others to believe. I don't know how he did it at all. But yet in this moment, just having a few moments of heaven on earth and coming down and being greeted with unbelief, he cries out, Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I suffer you? How long shall I be with you? Faithless without faith. We pick up the story back in Verse 19, after the boy was healed, verse 19 says, Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? Verse 20, And Jesus said unto them, Because of your what? Because of your unbelief. Because of your unbelief. O faithless and perverse generation. It wasn't just an unbelieving world. It was his unbelieving disciples. You know, it's possible for you and I, and we have to be careful of this trap, it's possible for us to trust God with our souls, but little else. 
it's possible for us to trust God to go to heaven but live like an unbeliever in other areas of our lives? What a condemnation. Be not faithless, but believing. These men who had left all to follow Christ were acting faithless. They were not exercising their faith. They were acting like lost people. In that moment, they were living like they had no faith at all. And as I said, it's so easy for us to rely on Christ to save our souls, but we don't trust Him with the daily issues of life. How absurd! Your soul is the most precious thing you could trust Him with. It's the greatest trust. Yet we don't trust Him with our finances. We don't trust Him with our schedule. We don't trust Him with our priorities. We don't trust Him in our daily life. Faithless. And how many people in our world today, they claim the name of Christ. They claim to be born again. And yet, They live like lost people in 90-95% of their lives. And Christ says, be not faithless, but believing. You see, Thomas, back in our text, Thomas was acting faithless. He refused to believe the apostles' account. After everything he saw the Lord do, after all the miracles he saw the Lord accomplish, was it unthinkable that Christ could raise from the grave? Thomas refused to exercise his faith. In fact, Thomas refused to believe the Old Testament prophets. Do you know the Old Testament prophets taught the hope of the resurrection? Daniel chapter 12, verse 2 says, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Isaiah 26, 19 talks about the hope of the resurrection. Thy dead men shall live, together with my dead body shall they rise, awake and sing, ye that dwell in the dust, for thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Psalm 16, verse 10 talks about The Messiah himself is saying, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. The Old Testament prophets taught the hope of a resurrection. And in disbelieving the, the account of the resurrection, Thomas was disbelieving the Old Testament prophets. Then he didn't believe the brethren, the apostles, the ones that he had spent three years with, gave an eyewitness account that Thomas refused to believe. What had they to gain by saying they saw Christ? What would be their motivation? Why would they lie about such things? How could they have the knowledge they had? And Thomas said, I, I don't believe the prophets and I don't believe the apostles. And then he didn't believe the Lord. See, the Lord had told the disciples of His gospel plan on more than one occasion. An example, Matthew 16, 21, From that time forth began Jesus to show His disciples how that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. Matter of fact, that news was so shocking that Peter Peter took Him 
and, and put his arm around him and, and began to walk away saying, Lord, there's no way we're going to let that happen to you. And that's where we see the, the other account in Luke chapter 22. <clears throat> Jesus told Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things which be of God. Jesus had been teaching them. He was going to have to die and be buried and raised again. See, folks, unbelief is contagious. And unbelief can be stubborn. And you can believe, choose to disbelieve the most obvious of things if you want. Now, to be fair to Thomas, he's known as Doubting Thomas. But he wasn't the only doubter. The other disciples had lapses of faith as well that are chronicled in the Scriptures. Uh, For example, the disciples didn't believe the ladies who first saw the empty tomb, and they ran back that morning to tell the disciples that the tomb was empty. The Bible says the disciples didn't believe them. Then they didn't believe the men who met Christ on the way to Emmaus. Turn to Mark chapter 16. If you remember that afternoon, two disciples were walking to Emmaus and a a man joined them in the middle of their trip and began talking to them and asked them why they were sad. And then, of course, he began to expound the scriptures. And then later, Jesus revealed that it was him, uh, that that it was Christ himself. And then the, the men left Emmaus and ran back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples what they saw. And we pick up the story in Mark chapter 16 and verse 11. (laughs) Mark chapter 16 and verse 11. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. Verse 12. And after that he appeared in another form. That, That was about Mary seeing him. And then verse 12, after that, he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. So Thomas isn't the only one here having a faith problem. They were all struggling. And folks, every Christian will struggle with doubt at times. Matter of fact, you can't have faith if you don't have doubt. There's a difference between having knowledge of something you've seen or experienced and you know it because you've seen it and experienced it. And there's a different Greek word for something you know, but you haven't experienced. That's faith. You can have a knowledge of something by faith. I know for sure I'm going to heaven by faith. I haven't been to heaven yet. I haven't seen it. But I'm going. Why? Because I believe what Jesus said. And I believe what the Bible says about how to get to heaven. So we can know for sure we're going to heaven. Why? Because the Bible says you can know for sure you're going to heaven. That doesn't mean you'll never have any doubt. You have to have doubt in order to have faith. Now, Sometimes your faith is big and your doubt's little. And sometimes your doubt's big and your faith is little. And the beautiful thing is, God said, it's not the amount of your faith, it's what you put your faith in. He told the disciples that if you had faith as the grain of mustard seed, small, tiny, you could move mountains. 
you can have the smallest amount of faith, but put it in the right person, God, for the right reason, at the right time, and that makes all the difference. Think about the man who asked Jesus for healing, and Jesus said, if you believe, and the man said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. He said, Lord, I believe, but I've got an awful lot of unbelief. And Jesus said, your belief is enough. How much faith does it take to get saved? You've got enough. How much faith does it take to live and follow Christ? You've got enough. But you've got to be willing to put your faith in the right thing, the right time for the right reason. Thomas wasn't the only doubter. Many of these apostles doubted. But let's look on. Mark chapter 16. We see these doubts. Look at verse 14. And afterward he, that's Jesus, appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided who's, what's the next word? Them with their unbelief and hardness of heart. Because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. They didn't believe Mary. They didn't believe the men going to Emmaus. Thomas didn't believe. But see, Thomas, Thomas's unbelief was more aggressive. I believe that's why the Lord called him out first and then dealt with everybody. You know, there are some people that struggle with doubt, and then there are some people who aggressively doubt. They're militant in their unbelief. They're combative in their unbelief. Unless I see his hands and poke my finger in his hands and thrust my fist in his side, I will not believe. And Jesus showed up and said, Thomas, reach hither. And be not faithless, but believing. Thomas, stop acting like an infidel. Thomas, stop acting like an unbeliever. Thomas, stop acting like you haven't followed me for three and a half years. Stop acting like you know nothing about me and who I am and my father. Stop acting like an infidel and believe. Strong condemnation. And then he turned to everybody else and began to upbraid them. I think about my children. You know, sometimes one of your child, one of your children is doing something wrong, and that reminds you about everything else the others have been doing wrong, the same thing. You ever do that? It's like, hey, Bobby, knock that off. And by the way, Timmy, Susie, I remember you did that yesterday. I'm going to talk to all of you. And so Jesus called out Thomas because his was more aggressive More combative. But then he began to deal with everybody's unbelief. And he upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart. See, unbelief and hardness of heart always go together. Your heart starts to get hard, your faith goes down. Your faith goes down, your heart starts to get hard. Which comes first, chicken and the egg? It's a cycle. They both feed into each other. 
And folks, hardness of heart is a great, uh, it's a great sin for a disciple. If it can happen to Peter, James, and John and the rest, it can happen to you and I. Hardness of heart. We have to remain soft and tender to the Lord. Walking with God, keeping short accounts with God, humbling ourselves, being flexible and tender, moldable, malleable. It's interesting that Christ characterized Thomas's refusal to believe as faithless. Here's an interesting thought. Unbelief likes to dress up in various disguises, but God can always see through them. See, unbelief is rampant. And make no mistake, my friend, the sin that will send you to hell is unbelief. You don't go to heaven because you're good, and you don't go to hell because you're bad. You go to heaven because you believe in Christ Jesus and the gospel, and you go to hell because you don't believe. And it's just that simple. John three sixteen through 18. Read it. Mark it down. But see, unbelief is rampant in this world. It's one of the world's greatest sins. But unbelief disguises itself it likes to play dress up some disguise unbelief as logic you've heard that i'm just a logical person oh the bible's illogical they'll say faith is not logical they'll say say things like it doesn't make sense for god to exist and yet it makes far more sense for god to exist than for him not There's over 30 philosophical arguments for the existence of God alone. Removing everything else, just philosophically thinking through how could everything be here? How could we exist? How could the universe exist? Just thinking things through, it makes more sense that there's somebody bigger than you making it all happen And it makes less sense that you are the product of billions of years of uh, uh, uncontrolled mutations. Here by accident. Here for no reason. Coming from nowhere, going nowhere. Ridiculous. You have to go to school a long time to believe that kind of junk. You have to have an awful lot of degrees to believe that kind of mumbo-jumbo. They say, well, it's, it's logic. And some disguise unbelief as logic. They'll say things like, well, Jonah in the whale, everybody knows that a whale can't swallow people. Well, now here's the problem. If you remove God from the equation, perhaps you're right. But if you add the eternal, almighty God to the equation, then all things are possible. If there is a God, and there is, it's logical to believe He could do things just like that. So you have to illogically believe there's no God, and then once you remove Him from the equation... It's only what I can see and feel and know and hear. Man, if you 
add God into the equation, even the possibility of the existence of God. See, it's unbelief disguised as logic. If you don't want to believe, you'll find a reason. Some mask unbelief as reality. They'll say things like, I'm just a realist. I only believe what I can see. Have you heard, ever had somebody tell you that? I'm just a realist. Usually what they mean is, I'm just a cynic. I'm just a negative person. I'm just an unbeliever. But they live every day trusting in things they can't see and people they don't know, facts they can't affirm. And as I said in a recent sermon, everybody lives by faith whether they know it or not. God made us to live by faith. Some camouflage unbelief as science. I've had so many people over the years tell me, oh, I'm, I'm a, I believe in science. I don't believe in God. I believe in science. Well, then science is your God. Now, what you've got to understand is that there's no idol out there called science. Science is a big thing. There's all kinds of different scientists, and scientists don't even agree about what you're talking about. So which scientist do you choose to believe? The one that affirms your worldview. See, true science is about the scientific method, what can be seen, observed, and repeated. Anything outside of the scientific method is philosophy and religion. Now You can call it science all you want, but it's philosophy and religion because it can't be observed, it can't be repeated, it can't be documented. You have ideas based on assumptions of assumptions of assumptions of assumptions created by people you don't know, believing in statistics that you can't confirm. And yet people will say, oh, I, I believe in science. No, it's unbelief camouflaged as science. Man dresses up his unbelief, but Christ sees through it all and calls it faithless. Be not faithless, but believing. What an admonition for us all. Why was Thomas acting faithless? And we'll finish with these thoughts. Thomas was acting faithless because he had a predisposition to doubt. We all have a predisposition to doubt, don't we? But some more than others. Some people are optimists. They just think everything's going to work out. They just have kind of a, a little bit of a different predisposition where they're, they're willing to believe more things. They're willing to uh, not be as negative I was watching a documentary one time and it said all outlaws are optimists. You have to believe everything's going to go right when you rob the bank. You have to believe everything's going to go right when you break the law. One astronaut said you have to be an you have to be an optimist to be an astronaut because there's thousands of things that can go wrong but we just have to believe it's all going to go okay. We all have doubt, but some people are predisposed to doubt. You have to know that about yourself. 
fill your heart with the scriptures and trust the Lord. Listen to good preaching. Uh, get good information and you get the word of God in you and it'll build your faith. Why was Thomas faithless? Uh, his faith was weak because he was not at church. Think about this. Uh, the apostles, the disciples met for church. What we would call church on a Sunday night and Thomas wasn't there. And I don't know why he wasn't there, but he wasn't there. And make no mistake about it, that if you skip church, your faith will waver. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. If you want to hold fast a good profession of faith without wavering, you need to uh, assemble with the believers. And if you don't assemble with the believers, your profession will waver. You will never be as good of a Christian out of church as you will be in church. And this movement out there that says church is unnecessary is ridiculous. It's unbiblical. It's foolish philosophy. There is nowhere in the Bible where it is assumed that you could be a disciple of Christ in the New Testament age and not attend a local assembly. Well, then we think about how many times should I go to church a week? It's a good question. Some people just go Sunday morning. And let me say I'm thankful for everybody that attends our church. I mean, I'm thankful for every visitor that walks in the door. I'm thankful for everybody that comes back. I'm thankful for every faithful member. Thankful you can put up with me. Put up with each other. But if you want to really excel in your Christianity, one time a week's not going to cut it. If you want to make a difference in your world for eternity, one time a week's not going to cut it. You want to be a strong Christian that has a profession of faith without wavering, one time a week's not going to cut it. The reason why Curtis Corner Baptist Church has a Sunday evening service is they, the disciples met on Sunday night. And then the Bible talks about a different day where they were having services in the midweek at night. So at our church, following the biblical example, although back then they would meet every day, but we have the minimum recommendation we make is Sunday morning, <clears throat> Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And I encourage each one of you to consider that. It's not because the rest of us who come to church those times don't have anything to do, that we don't have a life. It's because we value church and we understand that we are closer to God and we're more like Christ whenever we are with the believers and worshiping together and encouraging and provoking one another and listening to preaching. Amen. You never know what you're going to miss when you skip a church service. Think about Thomas. He didn't come that Sunday night and he missed Christ showing up. You know, that one Sunday service you miss might be the day your kids was, want to get saved. The one Sunday service you miss or the one church service you miss may, might have been the time that God was going to get a hold of that teenager's heart. Or that God was going to change you, may perhaps answer those prayers you've been praying. Perhaps change your spouse. Or give you a blessing. Change your life. You never know what you're going to miss when you skip church. 
And we go, I, I believe in Sunday night. Do the best you can to add Sunday night to your church service. We believe his faith was weak because he had a predisposition to doubt. His faith was weak because he was not at church. His faith was weak because he required human evidence. If you look at John chapter 20, verse 25, <clears throat> he says, The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of his nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. See, Thomas refused to believe until he had more evidence. How many people are like that? I just need more evidence. Well, Jesus gave him more evidence, didn't he? Jesus showed up and said, Reach hither thy finger, in verse 27, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. But the story doesn't end there. A look at, <clears throat> at Thomas' response. In John chapter 20, and verse 28, And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. What would you have said? You'd been faithless. You'd been acting like a heathen. Acting like an infidel. Saying dumb stuff. Causing trouble with the brethren. And Jesus himself shows up in his glorified body and calls you on it. You would exclaim too, wouldn't you? You'd shout too. My Lord and my God. And see, this, this remarkable profession touched on three important truths. First of all, it acknowledged the resurrection of Christ. He acknowledged that this really was Christ. Secondly, it acknowledged the deity of Christ. When he called him my God, Jesus Christ is not just a good man or a prophet. He is the son of the living God. And then he acknowledged the lordship of Christ. He called Jesus his Lord. And, and Lord recognizes that you're my master, that I'm going to follow you, that you have the authority to tell me what to do. There's a lot of Christians who claim God is their God and Jesus is their Savior, but they don't claim Him as Lord. And my friend, He is Lord. You need to acknowledge Him as Lord and give Him that authority in your life to tell you what to do and how to do it and where to go and how long to stay. He is Lord. But then we see Jesus answers Him once more in verse 29. And Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. See, there's the belief that relies on experience. Some of you have been through some things in your life. And looking back, we can look backwards with the eyes of faith and say, oh, see, I, I know God will take care of me because he did this, right? And I know God will take care of me because he did that. And God protected me here and, and God did that for us and God answered this prayer. And so our faith is strengthened by what we've experienced. But wait a minute, you've got life ahead of you of things you haven't experienced. And you've got needs that you don't know if Christ can fill, bigger 
you, 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 need, you need more bigger answers to prayer. You need more of God in your life. You need Him to come through in different ways. And it's easy for you to look at the future and say, Oh man, I don't know if God can get me through that. Oh man, I don't know if God can get me through coronavirus. And what about my job? And what about my money? And I've never been here before. And Jesus is saying, Yes, Thomas, you believe because you've experienced You've seen me. But Thomas, it's better if you can believe for those things you haven't seen. If you can believe for those things you haven't experienced. And Christ extols this faith above sight. The Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. I'm telling you what, my friend, the same God that saved your soul can get you through whatever's coming in your future. The same God that's got you up to today can get you through whatever tomorrow holds. And we can't allow our faith to be weak when we're presented with situations that we've never seen God come through before because He's the same God. We can't look at life and all of a sudden become faithless. And act like an infidel. We believe. We put our faith in him. It's interesting. Thomas wanted evidence. God gave us a lot of evidence. Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. See our faith is built upon substance and evidence. But it's not human evidence. And a lot of people today want human evidence. They want God to come down out of heaven and and show up physically. They want graphs and samples and credentialed imbeciles putting their stamp of approval on things. That's not the kind of evidence that God gives. But if you look around you and you open your heart and your mind and you say, God, speak to me and show me, your eyes can be opened to a universe filled with evidence and not just light years away, but right in your life today. If you're asking for the wrong kind of evidence, you're going to be sorry. 1 Corinthians said the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, and under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. See, they wanted the wrong kind of evidence. And God said, I'm not going to give you the evidence you want, but open your eyes. There's plenty of evidence. We don't have a blind faith. We have an informed faith. A faith built on the promises of God. My hope and prayer is this admonition will speak into our lives, not just today, but perhaps for the rest of our lives. I pray the Holy Spirit will be able to say to us in moments of doubt or when we Begin to act foolishly. Be not faithless, but believing. Because Christ is worthy of our faith. If you're here listening and you're not saved, 
Boy, put your faith in Jesus Christ tonight. Trust Him as your Savior. Do it now. Acknowledge your sin. Confess your need of Him. Believe in His finished work. He died on the cross to pay for your sin, was buried and rose again. Call upon Him asking for forgiveness. Trust in Him. He'll save you. And Christian friend, if you're saved, let's stop acting like the unsaved. Don't handle your finances like the unsaved. Don't have a marriage like the unsaved. Don't raise your kids like the unsaved. Don't have a filthy mouth like the unsaved. Don't have a a schedule that any unbeliever would have. Don't have priorities that the lost guy at work would fully agree with. Be not faithless, but believing. If Christ is big enough to save our souls, He's big enough to help us in every area of life. Amen? Let's live by faith today and every day. Let's pray. Lord, we've tried to labor in the Word, and this is a powerful truth and I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would take it and apply it to people's hearts and lives as they have listened and will listen and that you'd do the work in us Lord we confess our doubt we believe but help our unbelief Lord at times we are faithless Lord, help us be believing. And Holy Spirit of God, would you remind us of this powerful truth and what we've heard today so that we can be more like you and bring you much glory and live the Christian life to its fullest. Thank you for being able to meet here today. I sure do love the few faces I've been able to see and these people. I sure do miss our church folks. I just miss them so desperately. I pray you'd take care of them, touch each one. And bring us back safely here together soon. Uh, We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.